Go ahead and have a seat. So before we get to this week's message, we need to wrap up a little bit from last week. So I gave you an assignment. Hopefully you remembered what it was. You were to begin a new habit. So I'm not going to embarrass you and have you raise your hand. How many of you intended (laughs) to begin a new habit? Say it in your mind. Most of us probably did. Some of you actually did. It's not too late. You can begin this week as well. Does anyone remember what my new habit was going to be? Go ahead and shout it out. What was it? Clean my desk. Right, I I used the fake scenario about going down and actually getting on the treadmill. Uh, Not going to happen. So maybe next week that's one way to do it. I had someone in the the last service. uh, they, They followed that advice. They went down and they looked at their treadmill for two minutes. That's a good start. But then they actually got on it. They did. And for more than two minutes, and each day it got a little longer. That's the idea. You begin anything, because you can do anything for two minutes, right? And then it gets longer. You do it every day. It becomes something you don't even have to think about. So, yes, I, I did say that I'm going to clean my desk here at the office, the church office, before I leave. So there you go. There's a picture. Now, true, it could have been staged, Right? It could have been, could have done it once, but do I have anybody in the building who can verify that I actually did this every day? There we go. Thank you, Don Kearley. An honest man, wouldn't you say? Yes, an honest man. He's not going to lie about that, so I actually did it. So here's the point. If I can do it, what? You can do it as well. Whatever it is. Now, we're going to get to holy habits, godly habits, over these next 40 days, because that's finally what we all want for you, to follow the habits of Jesus, so that your relationship with God the Father grows. So we started with that, with something easy that you could do for two minutes. But we're going to continue. So I have another experiment this morning. Go ahead and put those pictures up there. All right, what do you have on the left? That is a picture of what? Anybody? It's a line. It is. This is not a trick. I know sometimes we do that in church. This is not a trick. It's a vertical line. So, on the right, you have three vertical lines and you have three choices. Which of the three on the right is the same length as the one on the left? Again, not a trick question. Go ahead and shout it out. C, you are correct. It is C. It is obviously C. However, in the 1950s, there was an experiment that was done. A researcher by the name of Solomon Ash. And he took, go ahead and leave the lines up there for just a little bit. He left the lines and he asked people in an audience like this, which is the same length? It's C, it's obviously C. And yet, 75% of the people in the experiment said A. They said A. You can go ahead. It's, in, it's uh, recorded in, in the book uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. You can find it there. 75% said A. Now, how did that happen? People just not have good eyesight in the 50s? Did they misunderstand the question? No. It was set up. And this is the way they did it. They would take a subject, any one of you, put them in a room, And then they would have actors in the room. And the actors were trained to give the wrong answer. Now, to build their trust, 
They would have similar lines, similar questions, and they would say the right answer. And so then over time, then they were then coached to give the wrong one. So if there was only one actor in the room and it was you, and they said the correct answer is A, you would still probably say, no, it's not. It's obvious. It's C. But if you put two people in the room who both said A, you begin to wonder a little bit. If they put three people in the room or four or five or more, pretty soon you would think they weren't crazy, but you are. Right? Well, they all said A. Which one is it? It's A. Which one is it? It's A. Which one is it? It's A. Well, maybe it is. And so you would then go against your better judgment and 75% of you too would say the wrong answer. Now, what's the point? Point is, if you go ahead and put the outline up there once again, when we're unsure, sometimes even when we are sure, we look to the group. We don't trust ourselves even when we know what is right. In fact, Most people would rather be wrong as long as the crowd agrees with them than stand up for what is right. Now, we do this all the time. How many of you check out, before you go to a restaurant for the first time, ratings on Facebook or Yelp or somewhere else? Anybody do that? Yeah, we do that. How many of you check out TripAdvisors before you go to a new city? and find something. Yeah, we do that. How many of you before, if you're in, in a new place and, and you, you don't have someone who repairs your car, how many of you ask your friends for advice? Where should I go? Yeah, we do that. And, and this is all good. Most of the time, it's a good strategy. You go with the crowd. You go with people who have already experienced what you have not yet done. That's all good, except if and when The crowd is wrong. And when they are, you follow along that path as well, and it can lead you in the wrong direction. Now, we're talking about community today, and yet there's one person, of course, who could have done just fine in life without a community, and that, of course, is Jesus. We're following his example. We are going to adopt his holy habits, and the very first one of them is commit to community. And yet he could have done it without anyone else. So why did he? (laughs) If Jesus could have been successful in this life all by himself, why did he have a community of people? Certainly as an example, but even he, as a human being, certainly God, but also as a human, knew that community is there to support and encourage us. Some of the very first words, and we we heard these in our Old Testament reading for today. After God had made the first man, and he took all of these animals, and he paraded them past Adam, and he said, I want you to name all of these. And he named them all, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands. And then we have the words that, that God said, no suitable helper was found for him. Animals make good pets, but they're not part of our community. And then some of the very first words that God said to human beings is, it is not good for the man to be alone, nor is it good for the woman, nor is it good for the child, 
Certainly not good for Pastor Teeman to be alone, I can tell you that. Nor is it good for you. We all were created to be in a community. So if you get nothing else out of the message today, I want you this week to intentionally form relationships, form a community. And yet, before we go and do that, we need to understand that not every community is the same. Take a look at point number two. Jesus committed to a community. Back in the day, people did that. Now, 2,000 years later, it has never been easier to connect. We have all kinds of electronic devices. We have social media. We have all these places where we can connect with people, and yet surveys show, and this was done by an insurance company before COVID, that 61% of Americans struggle with connection. 61% of Americans feel lonely, even though many of us are in groups all the time. We need to be a part of a community, but we also need to be wise about who we choose. This is what Solomon wrote. If you walk with the wise, you become what, anybody? You become wise. But a companion of fools, he doesn't say you'll become a fool, but he says you will suffer what? Harm. The people that you choose to be around with the most, the people that you hang with, that is who you are going to become like. Just like in our children's message, with the pictures of animals and the pictures of people, that is who we will become. So another survey was done. This was done by Charles Schwab, and it was done a number of years ago. 30,000 people were interviewed over a period of 30 years. So you have a long history here. You have a lot of credibility in this survey. Here's a couple of things that they found. There were many more, but these are some. Three out of five of us are affected by friends' financial decisions. Do you believe that's true? Raise your hand. Is that the, the case? You're not affected at all by what other people do? Those who are on Facebook, those who are your neighbors, then why does your house look like your neighbors? Why do you drive the minivan that your neighbor does? Why do you have the same, why do you join the same groups? Why do our kids play on the same team? We do these things because we are often influenced by others. The survey said that if a friend is overweight, over half of you will be overweight as well. Now, I kind of like that because now I can blame my friends on that, not me. Not the bacon cheeseburgers that I ate last week. It's all of you guys. I don't have abs because you don't have abs. That's just what I'm sticking with, right? Another survey done by a Harvard professor, David McClellan, said that 95% of our success or failure is determined by who we hang out with. 95%. The number one factor in who we become in our life is the people that we hang out with. So we need to take a look at who they are. So who would you look at if you're going to look at the people that uh, that are chosen to be in your inner circle? Again, the obvious Sunday school answer is, anybody? Jesus, of course. So who were Jesus' friends? Let's take a look. He had three very close friends. Who were they? Shout it out. 
Peter, James, and John. Then he had 12. You could name all of them, I'm sure. Then there were about 72, those that he sent out to the towns and villages with the good news. And then there were about 500, Paul writes about, who saw him after the resurrection. But let's first talk about the three, Peter, James, and John. What do you know about Peter, James, and John? They were all wealthy attorneys or doctors, correct? No, who were they? Fishermen, they were unschooled, they were uneducated. They also had a temper. Remember, it was Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. The crowd was there to arrest Jesus. Old Pete takes out his sword and he cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And Jesus says, good job, buddy. That's our mission. We're here to die by the sword. Of course not. He said, put it away. Not what we're here for. What was the nickname of James and John? They're the sons of who? Thunder. The sons of thunder. They had a terrible temper. You remember the time when they walked into a Samaritan village? They weren't welcomed. And so, what did they do? They said, Jesus, do we call upon God to send down fire in brimstone. No. That's not the mission. These were not paragons of virtue that Jesus chose to be in his inner circle. Let's just talk a little bit more about John. John's the youngest one. John writes the gospel after his own name. And what does he call himself, anybody? He is the disciple that Jesus loved. You think he has a little ego problem here? Didn't the other disciples love Jesus? The one that Jesus loved. Now, you remember Peter, again, he's the one who cut off uh, the servant's ear. All four Gospels mention this. Which of the four names Peter? John. See, all the other writers, they just say one of the disciples. They don't want to point out poor Peter. I mean, he did a bad thing here. Jesus calls him out. We're not, we're not going to point out who it is, except John does. No problem. It's this Peter guy. And then when the disciples went to the empty tomb, Mary had come to, to the room there, the upper room, tells the disciples, he's risen, let's go look. Who is it that runs first to the tomb? There's two of them. They race. Who wins? John. Who's the other guy? Peter. Who names him? John. He says, hey, I'm younger, I'm faster, and by the way, I'm the one that Jesus loves. <laughs> to you. These are not perfect people. Do you get the point? And yet, they are the three that Jesus chose. Now, we could look at the other nine. They weren't a whole lot better. Judas betrays him, after all. None of them were there at the end except John. And yet even in that inner circle, when Jesus asked them to pray with him, our gospel for today, what did the three do? They all, just like you, fell asleep. Yeah. Can't you just stay awake for an hour? When we choose, our inner circle. They aren't going to be perfect. 
We all have flaws. You aren't always going to get along perfectly with them. You may even argue. Maybe over big things. How are you going to spend your money? Where are you going to spend your time? What behaviors are you going to adopt? Maybe the little things, who's faster, I don't know. Do we care? (laughs) There will be conflict. Sometimes it's even going to be rather awkward when one of your friends points out one of your flaws. And yet, of all Jesus' groups, the three, the 12, the 72, the 500, they all had one thing in common. They all followed Jesus. As we go through these 40 days, we are going to look at the habits of Jesus. Study Scripture. Prioritize prayer. Seek solitude. Choose church. But if we don't begin with the first one, if we don't surround ourselves with the three and the twelve and the more, with the community of people who are pointing us in the right direction toward Jesus, it makes all the rest that much more difficult. How many of you have ever gone up an escalator when the thing was going down? Yeah, my kids did that all the time, right? Parents tell them not to, they do it anyway. So if you do that, if you're going up the escalator that's actually moving down, can you get to the top? Of course, you can. It just takes a little longer, and it's a little harder. So let's first begin as we look at the habits of Jesus, as we become more like him, So that our relationship with God the Father grows, let's begin by committing to a community that's pointed in the same direction. And so this week, as you look at your three closest friends, are they pointing you in the direction of Jesus or somewhere else? As you consider your group, your club, your posse, Are they headed toward Jesus or somewhere else? As you look at your 72, and there's about that many or so here, or the 500, there's about that many on a normal weekend here at Emmanuel, are they all pulling in the same direction or are they all pointing you toward Jesus? I think they are. There is one other number. One you could guess, I'm sure. If you go backwards from 500 to 72 to 3, what's the obvious one that's left? There's one. I talked about that accountability partner. You ought to get one if you don't have one. Jesus had one. Who was it? God the Father. Someone there to encourage him. Then Someone there to support him. Someone that he could talk to all the time. And the good news is we have that one as well. God the Father is there with us. 
He has sent the one, his son, to die in our place so that our relationship with the Father could be restored. So we could be a part of his kingdom, certainly here on earth, but for all of eternity, one day in heaven. And we have the one, we have the Spirit of God living in our heart by God's grace given to us. So we're not alone in this world. What a blessing it is that we have that one, that we have a Father, that we have a Savior, that we have a Spirit to guide us. And yet it was never God's intention to have only that one. He created us for community. First, with himself, but also with like-minded people who encourage and support us. You know, Peter, we talked about earlier, not only did he cut off the servant's ear, but he denied the Lord three times. And yet Jesus forgave him. He used words coming out of his own mouth. We need to hear that from the people close to us. I forgive you. And then Jesus also restored Peter. And he gave him his true identity. You are a child of God. You are going to be a shepherd of my sheep. You are Peter, the rock upon which the church is going to be built. We need that person in our lives as well to remind us that we are forgiven, that we are a child of God, that we have a purpose to point others in the direction of Jesus, just like we are headed as well. Can you imagine what the church would be like if we were all pulling in the same direction, if we were all pointing toward Jesus, not just the 500 or so that, that gather here on a Sunday, but all of those who are watching, all of those in our community, our neighbors, our friends, our family members, those with whom we work, those at our school, if we all pointed them in the same direction? Imagine what the community could be. Imagine what the kingdom would be like. And imagine all those faces one day in heaven. What a beautiful sight that would be. It's my prayer that as we commit to community, that we would continue to develop the habits of Jesus so that not only the relationship with the Father would grow, but with all of these who are gathered and all of those who may gather, one day with us in heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand.